Welcome to the Honest Labor Podcast, where we look at life lessons through the lens of woodworking. This is episode one, Prelude to Perfection. Gentlemen. Gentlemen. Welcome back. Good to see you guys. I'm pretty excited about this article today. I think it's going to be a good conversation. What's it called, Murray? It's called Ancestral Voices. So for tonight, I chose an article written called Down to Earth. It portrays craft, specifically woodwork, to, to be a grounding activity for people. Gentlemen. Gentlemen. Welcome back. Good to see you guys. Likewise, as always. I'm pretty excited about this article today. Uh, I came across it in the book and just went for it. And uh, I think it's going to be a good conversation. What's it called, Marty? It's called Ancestral Voices. Mm. And uh, it's kind of a two-part article. Two main themes going on. Uh, It starts out with the importance of taking breaks. Mm. And uh, finding uh, time for rejuvenation amongst the work. Mm. And then the second part is uh, connecting with our past and uh, history and the lineage and the legacies that we all are involved in, whether we know it or not. And, uh, you know, I think we'll get to how they tie together here. Um, So I think let's start off with taking breaks, how it's so important. And uh, I'll read a little bit uh, from the article to begin. So, there comes a time every year when I seem to get literally bogged down in the very act or fact of living, hustling from one job to another with very little of a breather anywhere, almost losing sight of the reason for doing things and the struggle to get them done. And uh, that definitely resonated with me. (laughs) Isn't it funny how it seems like the first sentence of almost all of these articles is like, bam, yep, Mm -hmm. check. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it's because... You know, Hayward writes about like the human condition mm-hmm. more than anything, mm-hmm. and that is a timeless topic. Um, but these days, more than ever, I feel like you know that that little breather, just the grind, as we all call it these days, is is so ever present. It feels like you you lift your head up from work, whatever that might be, on your bench or you know, on the job site or, or in the classroom or whatever. And then you got your phone in your hand and it's like, okay, now I need to answer my emails. Now I need to call this person back. And next thing you know, it's 1130 at night and you're exhausted and you go to bed just to wake up and do it all over again. Totally. And then weekends come and maintaining your home takes on a whole new role. Yeah. Absolutely. This this past weekend, I literally worked all day Saturday on uh, cladding the inside of our old 1979 camper in some some cool wood. It was actually it actually looks great, but it was like all day of cutting and installing. Oh wow! And um, and it was fun, you know. We'll yeah. get to enjoy that. Yeah, yeah. But it was not a you know restful day. <laughs> right. <laughs> And then, and then I'll say Sunday, I went skiing with my five-year-old, which was also great, and it felt like getting out there, and it was certainly a break from the things that, you know, the productive things, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know, you know, back in the day, resting might have been 
sitting on the couch watching TV all day, recovering from a night before, yeah. you know, or something. And for for me, I, I always like the the projects on the weekends um, when they're not they're for me. They're not for a client, so it's mm-hmm. there's a lot less pressure for me to get them done perfectly or in a timely manner mm-hmm. per se. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's like working on my shed. It's it's not as much of a chore, but um, yeah, it's still work. Yeah, still work. And I think we've talked about this, so I'll touch on it briefly again. In that at work, you know, I can step back at like something I've built on a job site and be happy about it. It's nice to look at, but there's something about doing it on your own home or your for your own project. Mm-hmm. You get to look at it every day. Yeah, every day. Yeah. You got to keep appreciating that. But I think that again. Work is work, and, and I want to talk and dive into a little bit more about really taking yeah. a break yeah, yeah, yeah. from work mm-hmm. and, and what that looks like for you guys, mm-hmm. you know, what you like to do for fun. So <clears throat> this all really got me thinking, especially about my childhood and my upbringing. And in this article, Hayward seems to really kind of pry on the idea of a vacation, right? Like a, of an actual traveling to go somewhere and completely cut the cord from the normal day-to-day operations, whether it is your full-time job or maintaining your home. It's, it's a true escape, right? A physical mm-hmm. escape for the purposes of a mental escape mm-hmm. as well. Anyway... <clears throat> my childhood, we did not really take vacations. Um, we took one. We took it to South Dakota because it was in conjunction with a family reunion. <laughs> and we went to... That's not very far from Iowa. It's not very far. So it was a nice little road trip. And uh, we went over to the Black Hills and the Badlands and Mount Rushmore and all of that. So... Um, that was our, our kind of one escape when we were kids. Now, admittedly, now that I'm an adult and I have children, we also don't really take vacations. <laughs> but we haven't taken them to South Dakota. <laughs> so our escapes really are our camping adventures. And you can vacation yeah. we can 30 be, minutes from here. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To, which I'm infinitely thankful for. And it... It is just a, a nice physical and mental escape where us as a family, we're out in the woods, we're doing things. There's stuff later on in the article that really resonated with me for that purpose um, where he said, till suddenly we're in the clear again, we can see the buttercups in the meadows, the kingfisher flashing across the stream, and the wide vault of heaven above us is like, yes, that's camping mm-hmm. for us, right? Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> It reminds me of this commercial from years ago where this group of people were in their, you know, Toyota or whatever. I think it was a car commercial. And uh, the guy kept looking at his phone like, no, no, not yet, not yet. You know, and he kind of looked like he was like trying to find a signal or something. But then they finally got out there and he held his phone up and it was like no service. And he was like, finally, we're here. <laughs> and I just like, yeah. I love that. It was oh, such like good. a twist at the end. And, uh-huh. you know, I think that 
it's it's really hard and camping feels like a true vacation because yeah. so often you do get off the grid and mm-hmm. you are not accessible mm-hmm. and that is such a luxury mm-hmm. these days because even if you go to well any city any urban center and even uh, internationally these days with wi-fi it's like you might as well be just as connected as if you were in town you know and, and so and even on airplanes now totally. you know it's like you cannot get away from a signal yeah mm-hmm. and and it, yeah, as someone who also takes the family camping, that's like our go-to as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's a big part of being in the woods is like a real hard disconnect mm-hmm. and just turning the phone off. Yeah, especially for us as adults. Mm-hmm. It's such well, a blessing. To go with the theme, my answer is pretty similar. Um, perfect. I, I love camping as well, and it's like the perfect place for me to to get out um, and relax and and disengage from my work and Hayward here, he calls it breathing space. I think Mm. it's a good way of putting it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. When I go kayaking or even just day trips, going mountain biking, um, it allows me to really just be present at what I'm doing and not, not have my, uh, head in the shop at work, you know, doing, going through things. Um, and, uh, for me, like the ultimate vacation is, long river trips multiple weeks mm-hmm. no cell reception just like you're saying where you're just out there with your friends and family and uh and the wilderness and that's it and don't have to worry about yeah. social media or the news or anything nothing um hayward has a line at the end of this opening paragraph that i really love he says um he kind of refers to what we're all discussing as a certain withdrawal from the act of daily living to show us to ourselves. I know. So good. And so deep. It really is. And it's mm-hmm. so true. Like, we get to pull away from all this distraction and feel like our true selves, you know, when we get out there, away from all these demands upon us from mm-hmm. society and work and, you know, all this all this noise. Mm-hmm. Um Hey, if, before you go farther, can yeah. I can I drill into a couple things in this paragraph here? Please. All right. <clears throat> I'm just going to read a little bit, and then I'm going to open up. I don't know if it's necessarily a can of worms, but I think it's some interesting things. Here. <laughs> let's, let's do it. All right. Um, usually, of course, the summer holiday is the answer, or some break which will enable one to sit back and let things register on the mind for a change, which is what we've been discussing. When we don't see the wood for the trees, when we can neither see the shape nor the meaning nor wither away of our lives, then it is time to call a halt. The pattern is there, but we have somehow become enmeshed in it. We need something mentally akin to those fascinating pictures which are taken from the air showing up the hidden contours of the land revealing old defense works, the shadows of ancient civilizations, a certain withdrawal from the act of daily living to show us to ourselves, which is what you just read there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so a couple things I want to I wanna peel away here. One, <clears throat> I wasn't exactly sure what he meant by the wither away of our lives. Wither away of our lives. So... I did what I always do with this stuff, was I Googled it. Yeah. (laughs) I Googled a portion of that paragraph, too. Okay. Yeah. All right. So it would be interesting to see what we came up with. Maybe maybe we came up with the same thing. Anyway, 
uh, Google brought me to the Bible. Okay. With the wither away of our lives. So this is James 1, verse 11. Indeed, the sun rises with the burning heat and dries up the grass. Its blossom falls off and its beauty perishes. In the same way, also, the rich person will wither away in his busy pursuits. Hmm. Yep. The day-to-day. Yeah. Hmm? You gotta slow down, otherwise you're gonna burn out and wither away, right? Totally. Totally. I think it's interesting, the qualifier of the rich person in that as well. Yeah. And it makes me think of, like, the golden handcuffs. You know, you get yourself into a lifestyle that you need to start supporting, and it's like this insatiable monster you must keep feeding. And you it's can't. an endless loop. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's like, you know, we could go a, a couple of episodes along into what rich means and what's it worth and all of that, but I think in, in the context of this, it, it does you know, beg the question, what are you, well, he even says it, what are you doing this for? What are the reasons mm-hmm. behind mm-hmm. this work? Right, right. All right, so I'm going to keep going. <clears throat> the fascinating pictures which are taken from the air. Did that make you guys think of anything? I What came to my mind was, like, landscape pictures. Okay. That's the first thing that came to my head. Okay, so I grew up on a farm. And every once in a while, and because there was no satellite imagery back then, people who owned airplanes would fly around the farmlands and take pictures of the farmsteads, Mm -hmm. and then they'd show up to your front door with this fascinating picture from the air, saying, this is your farmstead, and they'd want to sell you the picture. Most people would buy it. We didn't because it was expensive. (laughs) But it, it was truly interesting to to see your home from such a different perspective yeah right and in fact on ours you thought like the garage was lined up with the shed Mm. was lined up with the old garage was lined up with the barn and then when you saw it from a from up high it was like oh my gosh everything's kind of (laughs) crooked it's not quite right not like i i feel like it is right so then i started thinking What's today's fascinating picture from the air? Google Earth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right? Google Earth. But it's still so abstract. Like, I think that, and I, I'm thinking about it, I just flew to Seattle a couple weeks ago, and Matt took us right over Boulder, and I just had the most perfect view of the city of Boulder, and I could see the lake by what, you know, where my house is next to. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, it just struck me in such a, a different way. Like mm-hmm. I've seen, you know, the 2D map of, mm-hmm. of Boulder plenty of times. But mm-hmm. this something like in motion, moving over it, it's sitting there, you're moving. It it doesn't you know, it's it's still amazing mm-hmm. to be somewhere and look down. Mm-hmm. Um which is not something I mean we're lucky. I remember like when I first moved here, there's some lookouts right on the mountain where you can drive up, you know, two minutes and all of a sudden you're a thousand feet above it feels like the mm-hmm. city looking down and like that's such a unique thing because most places you can't do that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does that perspective mm-hmm. and it takes that stepping back to mm-hmm. really appreciate and understanding that the the metaphor is you taking a step back to look at your own life mm-hmm. from that type of mm-hmm. vantage point mm-hmm. okay I'm going to speed through some of this other stuff because I started going down Google Earth rabbit holes 
and I went to Google Earth Ancient Civilizations, and they started yeah. going to all these different I've spots. Spent a lot of time yeah. doing that too. <laughs> really cool. Yeah. All of a sudden, it took me to Illinois. Columbia. Yes. Are you aware? I grew up in, well, in St. Louis. <gasps> That's right across the river. Yes. It's amazing. So that was like the third spot that yeah. was on ancient civilization. It was like a huge civilization. Yeah. Yes. Back in like the Mississippian era. Yes, yes, yes. Um, what's crazy to me, I, I used to go on field trips because yeah. like, the mounds are still over there. Yes. St. Louis even had some mounds. Why don't you tell our listeners what Cahokia is? Okay, Cahokia is this archaeological site mm-hmm. across the Mississippi River from St. Louis. And it is um, what's left of a civilization. I can't exactly remember when. Maybe like over oh, a thousand years old. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. for sure. Okay. It, it was yeah. pre-Columbian. Okay. Yeah. And and this culture built mounds. And uh, like when I say mounds, I mean gigantic earthen mounds mm-hmm. that were full of artifacts and different things. And they would build their temples and even mm-hmm. their homes mm-hmm. on top of these mounds in varying different sizes. Mm-hmm. And it's I mean it really is an archaeological wonder. Mm-hmm. Um, it's surreal now because the last time I went to Cahokia was probably to go to like either a gambling racetrack or like a strip club <laughs> across oh the river gosh. because it is surrounded by yeah. just let's just say not um archaeological wonders <laughs> of our society um you know but it's it's still never lost on me like as somebody i talked about i study anthropology in school like just that this culture existed mm-hmm. and obviously and we'll get into this later in this article oh, for sure. so i just love the idea that this site was was prime territory for this ancient civilization mm-hmm. and now within you know a couple miles you know uh the gateway to the west was formed st louis you mm-hmm. know people settled it there and and in in uh israel um they like tel aviv is like a well-known city of course tel like that word tel means um a site where civilization has flourished for many, many years, hmm. in, in millennia. And yeah. and the tell means city on top of city on top of city. Wow. So if you kept digging down, sure. you know, right. you would literally find another city buried beneath that because just the way of, you know, hmm. literal sedimentation. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, you, you can see this in, in certain cities in America. You go to, right. you know, Na- Nashville right. or something and you see like at sidewalk level, mm-hmm. you see the archways of windows mm-hmm. because it has been ra- it mm-hmm. raised up for mm-hmm. flood issues mm-hmm. or whatever. And like, mm-hmm. it's literally the same thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can get, you wonder what, why are these certain places so attractive to mm-hmm. civilizations? What may die out and then one comes in, 100, 500, 1,000 years later mm-hmm. and keeps going. Um, kind of a non sequitur, but just talking to you about, like, or you saying, Luke, about the view from above of your farm, it makes me think of, like, the Ned's Purse lines and, like, certain ancient um, constructions. Like, the Ned's Purse lines, I believe it was in the American Southwest, where these um, civilizations built lines, like, literal lines in the ground that were hundreds of miles long, that were perfectly aligned with, with, the, with stars the stars and the directions. Right? Yeah, exactly. Wow. I mean, right on. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, wow. you know, it's pretty, pretty interesting. Can I show you something? Yeah. So, um, I never have been to Cahokia, but in Iowa, where I grew up, there are the effigy mounds. So also native American mm-hmm. mound builders and the effigy mounds 
were mounds that they built in the shape of different animals. So these are the marching bears. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and if you're a passerby or walking by, doesn't look like anything. Does it? Mm-hmm. it looks like a little hump. Yeah. In the terrain. And just to describe it, since you know we're looking at this picture, it's like literally um, a, a green hill, and it looks like a whole like procession of bears marching. Yeah. Like a wall lined up together. Right. I mean, and there's so many things that come to mind, right? Mm-hmm. How intentional this was, mm-hmm. how much skill it took for them to lay all this out, how much time it mm-hmm. took for them to do this. And, and that the builders never got to appreciate this view. <laughs> yeah. Totally. <laughs> Ever. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, it must be wow. maybe it's something to do with like we've talked about the gargoyles before, you know, and you're building this for the eyes of God. Yeah, maybe they knew right. whatever their deity was. Um, Paul, I think we should go over to you if there's anything more that you have in that paragraph that you were looking at. Oh, I was, I was googling what his term means uh, when we don't see the wood for the trees. Oh, yeah. yeah, and it just means that. You're stuck in the details. You got tunnel vision, right? And that you don't, you don't see the big picture. Yeah. And there, and there being the English, wood is akin to forest. You don't see the forest for mm-hmm. the trees. That's kind of the American yeah. version, right? And again, you're exactly right, Paul. You're stuck in the detail, the details of your life. And not being able to step back and look at your life mm-hmm. on the mm-hmm. grand whole mm-hmm. and, and understand more deeply what the meaning is and how it's tied to different generations, different cultures, different people, different things, different religions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I want to get back real quick to the act of getting away, the act, the actual mm-hmm. action it takes to find that place for reflection and and well, yeah, he talks about, you know, summer vacation and, and holiday mm-hmm. and everything. And I think that that's great. And in a perfect world, you know, we would all have more time to fully disconnect. But one area I want to explore a little bit here is is how we can do that in the day-to-day. Mm-hmm. And in moments, you know, throughout the day where we can find room for reflection, make room for reflection... Um, because for the most part, save, you know, maybe three, four times a year, we're going to be working most weeks, mm-hmm. you know, but that doesn't mean we can't make room, find room to, to pull away. Um, you know, and I think for me, like, like going for a walk is, is something a, easy that you can do. Yeah. Something yeah. really easy. And, you know, so many great thinkers throughout history have espouse the benefits of walking you know like yeah. Thoreau being one of them do you walk with your hands behind your back hmm <laughs> sauntering I think of it. you know I don't know I have, to, I have to think about my hand position <laughs> to an extent but I think it's important that people in us don't get caught up in thinking the only way to to find this space is is like a grand gesture or taking a trip or getting away like it's still possible to do it at any given moment, you, you know, put your, put your work down and you go for a walk anywhere. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I think, and I don't do it enough. Reading Mm -hmm. is a good one too. Mm -hmm. And 
it's something that requires some deep thought. It requires some reflection. Inevitably, you find parts of what you're reading that resonate with your own story or or don't resonate with your own story, right? And, and you have to kind of really think and dissect what that author is trying to explain. Mm-hmm. Um, Can I jump in there? Because I have a question for you. Please. Reading is a very active um, activity yeah. still, right? Yeah. And I'm thinking about this in conjunction with like what I said earlier about going skiing mm-hmm. with my kid, like also an activity. Mm-hmm. Do you think that finding rejuvenation requires active, you know, removal from what you're doing? Because as opposed to something passive like watching TV or watching a movie or like doing nothing. Oh, I think it's active. Yeah. I, I'm an active person. I, I uh-huh. need to be actually doing something that takes my focus away from letting my mind wander towards work. Yeah. Or takes your mind to focus on that bigger picture, that step back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. But, but you have to have that opportunity because if you're in the details of your work, you're not going to get there. Mm-hmm. So I think that the idea of flying up into the sky to have that 30,000 foot view, mm-hmm. that's a very active thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's not just a metaphor. I, I think that yeah. there has to be some sort of intention and purpose. Uh, Maybe that's a, good, that's a better way to put it. It's intentional. Mm-hmm. You know, intentionally pulling yourself away. You know, and I'm sure, like, uh, there are certain shows that I'll watch or whatever, and that's just the easy one that comes to mind. Or scrolling on, you know, social media. If that's super passive, that is not doing anything productive per se. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't necessarily, like, come away from doing that feeling rejuvenated. No. Meditation is a great way to do this from your living room floor. Mm-hmm. I've got this app. Headspace, it's pretty popular. Mm-hmm. And I, I've used it not as much as I should be, but it, it's guided meditation, mm-hmm. and it's it's pretty helpful. Hmm. Yeah, I admittedly I've never tried it. I've never tried mm-hmm. meditating. I've heard it helps you kind of get out of your head and mm-hmm. and get that strategic view up high. Yeah, and so it's that's intentional. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think that this you know dovetails nicely into Ooh, something nice. that I think about. <laughs> yeah, um, they they might make an appearance later too. Um, I think that it is easy to feel guilty when you're not being quote unquote productive. You know. Oh yeah. Because you always want to be doing something. I feel that so much. Yeah, I, I totally. Because it's yeah. like there's so much to be done. But I think what we're discussing right now, the intentionality of doing something that is different and not work is being productive. And I think that like, and I've heard about this, you know, recently just from like some interesting people I follow on social media or whatever. But I think that it is a nice thought to review or to view um, that like rejuvenation as productivity as either if it's, you know, immediate or delayed like it's imp- it's improving your sense of yourself but also like if you're intentionally doing something different to like give your mind a break you know if we can i think the way to overcome the guilt of like not feeling productive is that like actually what i'm doing right now is being productive in an entirely different way mm-hmm. and and hopefully that means that people would have more time to do it because you know i think that there's this 
this idea, especially at work, when you have a boss who's like trying to get you to do stuff that like you need to be at your desk for eight hours a day. Well, that's bullshit. Like, you know, you're going to fill that eight hours one way or another. But like maybe it's just I'm, I'm, I'm maximizing like my attention and then I, I can go do something else and I'm still being productive in the larger 40,000 foot sense. Yeah. I, I like it. I, I, I'm not sure if this is exactly where you're going with it, but my mind started to go to vacations that I've seen other people take mm-hmm. where they try to fill all of the activities in the vacation mm-hmm. and it like it's stressful yeah yeah, yeah. right you, you don't know, get the get, time to yeah, you need some breathing space yes yeah, exactly yeah. you need a vacation from your vacation yeah. i don't yeah. think i'm the first that i've said that right, right? yeah especially as a father of young children that's <laughs> uh, <laughs> definitely true um yeah yeah i think i think there's just so many different ways to conceive of what we're doing at any time it's just helpful to um, reframe some of these these ideas from time to time in order to situate them in like the overarching goal in that high level view because ultimately you know we all want to be whatever we're doing like going towards some vision of our future mm-hmm. and even seemingly doing nothing is still actually going in that same direction or certainly can be mm-hmm and I think that's just a hard thing for the majority of the public to be able to embrace, mm-hmm. I think. Well, I think it's a luxury, too, you know, in the sense that, like, there are plenty of people, you know, doing wage labor or whatever in a way that it's like they can't, you know, they can't just, like... I don't feel like you know, I'm going to go take a walk in the middle of the day. Well, here in the middle of shift, you can't do that, you know. Right. And so, to some extent, it is is constrained by uh, you know occupational mm-hmm. you know realities. But yeah. nonetheless, yeah, 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 worth considering. No, absolutely. Sorry, you you just have my mind spinning, and it's not really <laughs> generating anything out of my mouth. So. <laughs> Well, let me, um, let, me, let me try to transition here into something based on, on what we've been talking about. Um, because uh, Hayward talks about these roads mm-hmm. in England. And um, I'll read a little bit. He says, We are told that the sunken lanes of England represent the old trackways along which men's plodding footsteps for 2,000 years or more battered down the soil till the banks rose high on either side, giving shelter and protection but cutting off the view. Almost almost inevitably, our daily lives get like that, following the routine paths it seems endlessly, till suddenly we are in the clear again and can see the buttercups in the meadows, the kingfisher flashing across the stream, and the wide vault of heaven above us. And uh, I love this, and I think it ties all of this together really nicely because we kind of talked about walking and how walking alone can be a respite from the grind. Um, but to use his, his metaphor here as these well-trodden paths mm-hmm. blind us to, to what it's we're... It's like getting in a rut. Yeah, mm-hmm. a literal right. rut. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> but 
The other thing that I like about this, and this is where he transitions into our histories and our legacies that we're all a part of, mm-hmm. is that, you know, the, the footsteps for 2,000 years or more on these paths that have battered down the soil, or the city founded right next to Cahokia, or mm-hmm. the Tells in, and Israel mm-hmm. in the Middle East, are just things stacked upon things, people stacked upon people, and... And he really dives into how how taking a break not only gives us a, a chance to connect with ourselves, but a chance to connect with the history that we are a living part of. You know, the the, the spearhead right. of of history. We're a race, right? I mean, thinking about our human existence uh-huh. as the human race. Yeah. That spans all generations mm-hmm. for as long as we've been here, for as long as we're going to be, right? Yeah. It's a hard concept to really wrap your mind around, but I think that's where you're going. Yeah, absolutely. And and so he talks about a few things here that I'm going to keep reading a little bit just to give us good fodder to discuss because it just brought to mind so many different things. Um, totally. But, you know, he's talking about... Um, he's talking about... Um, coming across little towns and and little places where people have been existing for a long time. And he says, they built with chalk and flint and stone and wood just where they found them so that the homes they built fit snugly into the countryside as if they grew there. And everywhere we find traces of very ancient craftsmanship which has lived on in one form or another to the present. There is the ancient craft of flint napping which goes back 2,000 years or more to the time when flint was used by the huntsmen before ever men began to build their homes with it. He goes on to a thatch and other materials. Mm-hmm. Um, the flint thing really caught my attention mm. because I literally on Monday this week, I was talking to an electrician on my job site, and this guy has, is a big hunter. He's been hunting his whole mm-hmm. life. He guided hunts down in Arizona. Mm-hmm. And I was talking about... Um, arrowheads because mm-hmm. i was up at a rock shop with my boy and we were Sweet. we were looking at arrowheads and stuff we're gonna have to go together sometime yeah. bring the boy totally oh so, yeah, yeah. he was obsessed and <laughs> and and my and so my buddy this electrician was saying well yeah like when i go bow hunting in the arizona desert i would sit by this spring often and in like multiple springs but you know he talked about this one spring in particular he was sitting back at working on his arrows, getting everything prepped for his hunt. And he looked down and found an arrowhead in the ground right next to him that like the Anasazi or whoever that civilization, Puebloan or whatever, you know, like was there. And it literally, there was a hunter hundreds, if not thousands of years ago, doing the exact same thing at the exact same spring, mm-hmm. getting ready to hunt. Mm-hmm. And like, I, was, I mean, when he told me that, I was just like, wow, that is incredible. Mm-hmm. And then to see Hayward literally talk about that, I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> oh, this is man. all t- coming together here. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah. But I mean, moments like that, I mean, does that not situate you within the human race? Like you are part of this. Totally. It's amazing. It is amazing. I, I, I want to ask Paul. I mean, Paul at least has done... I don't know if you still do a lot of bow hunting. Yeah, I went this past September. Mm-hmm. Just 
hiking around the mountains for better part of a week um, with a bow in my hand. Are there any arrowheads that you've found that are part of your past? Um, not while bow hunting, yeah. but I spent a lot of time in the Southwest backpacking in the, the Escalante Grand Staircase mm. area, and then I've been down the Grand Canyon four times now, and there are there are sites that you can find um, old... Um, you can find arrowheads uh, if you're looking for the right places um, in the in the desert down there, and you can even find um, old kernels of corn mm-hmm. and pottery, part pottery shards. And then yeah. on the Grand Canyon, there's a spot where you can see the foundations of where their homes were. Oh, cool! And they're infilled now, just from yeah. hundreds of years of yeah. of weathering and. Uh, but they're they're there and they're clear and um, it's it's pretty amazing yeah. um, the ruins that you can come across. That's awesome. I think the desert's a really special place. It tends to preserve things it, it really does. well. Yeah, it makes me think of this one time I was out in the Moab area and we were just on the BLM land camping, um, not near any national parks or anything, and we we're just walking through the washes and came across some uh, uh, pictographs. Yeah, it just in a random wash. I mean, wow. it, it was just there. And just to think about those people. Living and there. I think that's exactly what Hayward's talking about here. Mm-hmm. You're traveling the countryside and you yeah. see something and it's like, all of a sudden you have that connection. And I kind of wanted to talk about, can I, yeah, can I, can I share the arrowhead that we found when I was a kid? Uh-huh. It was about, I don't know, four inches long or so. We're not sure if it was necessarily an arrowhead or, or like a handheld knife. Let's see a spear point. Folsom point. Is that what they're called? Well, that's a that's a style of point that they they would nap back in the day. Okay. Um, and a lot of these were discovered like in the the Clovis site mm. in Clovis, New Mexico. Mm. Well, this was in Iowa. Okay. Mm. So and and I mean, when you plow your fields and yeah. the spring rains come, you find some stuff. We found a dime from 1867. We <laughs> found a penny from 1903. We found a uh, a little. Um, it was a tip of an antler that was used for uh, flint napping yeah. as well. Mm. That's neat. Mm-hmm. There's still an argument to this day whether it was my brother or I that found it. <laughs> it was me. <laughs> yeah, for the of record. course. Of course. <laughs> Let this podcast be the official <laughs> <laughs> noted for perpetuity. But it started to make me. Like, I started trying to make my own arrowheads when I was a kid. Yeah. Like, I'd get a piece of glass, and I'd try to flake the glass off. It's hard. Oh, my yeah, gosh. It's hard. it's hard. Yeah. So you've tried. Yeah. Whew. I mean, I think everyone, every kid has tried. Do you think so? I mean, I, I was into the same, same stuff. Maybe every millennial? Or I don't know, natural. Midwest. Midwestern. Midwest. Yeah, we're all Midwestern. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, that that connection piece there. And I think there are so many ways to find that connection with the past. Mm-hmm. And I I was listing a few, but we can just kind of run with this, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, because, like, for one, I think there's, like, place um, and a sense of place. And the example that came into your mind for me was going to uh, Mount Vernon, which is George Washington's home site uh in i guess the dc area and it's still you know it's one of those places where they keep everything like really authentic like they re-shingle 
the cedar roof and mm-hmm. they cut it with you know hand tools and they dress it. The, I mean, it's one of those things, you know. That's awesome. Um, it's so cool. And then you're walking on these cobblestone pathways, and just the idea. And I went there as a kid, but thinking that George Washington walked in this literally same path was just so mind-blowing but such an amazing mm-hmm. connection point mm-hmm. to think about this historical figure who does not feel real but knowing that they lived in this place yeah. and I breathed the air in this room right it's just wild it makes me think of Mount Nebo so I did a trip for the military over to Iraq we stopped in Jordan and we stayed in Amman and we had a weekend, and we didn't get to go to Petra, but we went to the Dead Sea, and I, I think on the way back, we stopped at Mount Nebo. And we went all the way to the top, and there's this church there, and this is supposedly where Moses got to see the Promised Land. <laughs> but that's where God said, uh-uh, you're not going any farther. <laughs> you can see it, but you can't touch it. <laughs> so, but it was like, I mean crazy um mosaic floors and walls mm-hmm. and just amazing amazing stuff from again thousands of years ago mm-hmm. and to have that same thought of like whoa i'm, I'm where moses was mm-hmm. <laughs> that's cool yeah mm-hmm. you know i think all the senses could be different avenues to connecting with the past. You know, the other is like touch. Um, for me, like I, I have this 1936 typewriter that I got from oh, a friend cool. and it's totally, you know, analog as you can imagine. But I mean, it's yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. You got to hunt and peck this shit out of those keys. <laughs> it takes some force for sure. But you know, it's almost a hundred years old now. Like, all the people who have typed on that, I have no idea what kind of letters have come and thoughts have, have come from that. Yeah. And I'm curious, you know, cause, and then the natural progression there was like old tools. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Take it, Paul. So, you, you, yeah. yeah, I love having old tools. Mm-hmm. Some of my oldest planes are from the 1910s, 1920s, mm-hmm. and it's pretty cool. I mean, they're still going strong. Mm-hmm. I refurbish them and... They're still working hard for me today. It's cool to have them have been workers and still are workers, Mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, they're not just a trophy on a shelf. Right. That's one thing. So that makes me think of, like, a conception of the past that I think is different in America versus Europe. Um, And and the rest of the world in general. We are a young country, of course. Mm -hmm. But I think that when things get old here, buildings get old, they get turned into museums. You know, there are places where we just put all the old stuff and we come to almost uh, gawk at it from afar. Mm. As if this is no longer part of our culture. Whereas in Europe, you go into these, these cathedrals, you go into these ancient buildings, and they're still being used as, you know, whatever maybe the original purpose or maybe something else but they're being used and they're still very much a part of the culture and i think you know to a microcosm sense it's like you know these planes that you have paul are like you're using them they're not just a trophy on a shelf like 
and that life in them, that energy of all this life that's been put into them over those years is still being used. It's not just like withering, yeah. withering away, withering away, you know, and connection, right? Like mm-hmm. connection is really the word that comes to my mind mm-hmm. and connection with not, not just the past, but again, I, I'm, I'm trying to dig deep into the idea of the human race, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, people in general have been using their hands for again, thousands and thousands of years for as long as we've yeah. been mm-hmm. around. And, and, the idea, especially since the uh, Bronze Age came about, where they're using steel. But even before that, I mean, mm-hmm. you're, you're using flint, you're using cutting tools right. to do things. Uh, connection is, is the word for me. And I think that, you know, one of the strongest ways we can connect with the past is in our own action. And, and and what we do and how we do it. Um, and this is where I also was thinking about dovetails. <laughs> because, you know, you don't have... I mean, there are plenty of ways to, you know, a factory can put together a box. It doesn't right. need to be dovetailed. But, like, to cut... And I actually will admit, I have not cut a dovetail by hand. But I know... we got to change that. Yeah, we got to change oh, we that. Should. So as, as two men who have cut, I'm sure, many dovetails, maybe I'm curious your thoughts of, like, how it feels to, like, pull off a really good dovetail or a good joint and how that connects you with a history of carpentry and, and fine woodworking. Well, first off, I think, you know, if you make a cabinet or a drawer with just really great dovetails and they're tight-fitting and... You're proud of them, and you walk past it every day, and you're like, ah, oh, yeah, that, that looks good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't get old. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, and I, I will say it is nice to see how things were made back in the day. My grandparents have a house um, in Mineral Point, Wisconsin, that was built in 1842, mm-hmm. And it has a lot of original work still in the house. Like a mm. lot of the doors, they might wow. might be painted, but you can still see they used through mortise and tenon joinery and all the rails and styles. Wow. And they're yeah. solid wood. And it's just great to see that history mm. in a piece of furniture or, you know, a door. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I build doors, that's how I try and build them so they outlast the house. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, I've I've said it before on the podcast, but that's like comes down to legacy. Mm-hmm. You know, you you know, you want your stuff to last. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what they're talking about with uh, the homes that that people. Uh, where's the quote here? Um, they would uh, they would walk past and just know the the quality. You're right. You're right. Right here, when they fit mm-hmm. snugly in. Is that what you're talking about? Uh, there's another. I'll I think it's right it. above that where yeah. you're saying, um, uh, let's see, something that knows its affinity with the men who cleared this good earth and who labored and built and passed yeah. on the work mm-hmm. of their hands to us, and within it, the inherent beauty that showed it was good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. The inherent beauty that shows it was good. Like, it takes a door from this utilitarian object. It's a piece of furniture. A piece of furniture. You'd, art. You'd want to say, beauty. you're not going to. Just huck it in the landfill when you yeah. want your door. You're gonna you're gonna refinish it. Yeah. Put some right. 
uh, you're not going to want to paint it, and mm-hmm. it'll last. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know a guy who bought a house up on University Hill in Boulder, and mm-hmm. it was kind of condemned, honestly, for a while. But um, I remember when I was in school, uh, a friend of mine rented an apartment right next door, and it was like, you know, boarded up, and it was just there. And then, you know, many years later, I met this guy, and he was in the process of refurbishing it. And then I went there for a party, and the hinges on the door are all like hand carved metal or brass hinges i mean intricate i took a picture of like all of them because i was just blown away but the door hinges you know and it was just that same thing it's like in that inherent beauty you knew it was good Mm -hmm. and i just it just really stuck with me but many people don't know it's good and i know that we've talked about this a little bit before but it's so easy for an average Joe, a passerby, to say, oh, that's just a hinge. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, people know what you buy at Home Depot these days. Okay. Even now, do you think that the average person appreciates what goes into a hand-cut dovetail? Back to the dovetail. Pro- probably mm-hmm. not. Okay. And I'm talking about everything leading up to that quality hand dovetail. Right. See, and I know do. woodworking, and I don't even know what goes into <clears throat> cutting a dovetail. Right. So, when you when you brought it up, one of the first things, and, and I had never had this thought until I started cutting my own dovetails, but people still use that phraseology. Right. Uh, and they don't know what it means. <sighs> yeah. Right? And then they're talking about something and say, oh, that dovetails nicely into this concept. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, that it fits nicely. Uh-huh. There's so much freaking work that gets... <laughs> That goes into getting something to fit yeah. nicely like that. It right. doesn't. It's not just kind of a a, a, na- a natural happenstance. Yeah. There's great purpose and intention. Yeah. Into mm-hmm. dovetailing and blood, sweat, and tears mm-hmm. and time and mistakes and try again. <laughs> yeah. And, and what, what was your original question? <laughs> I don't know if it's so much a question as a comment that, like, action is almost a preeminent way to connect with the past. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're talking about connecting with the past, I suppose. In the way we, we do things. You know, and I think integrity. I think as, as a characteristic, like, acting with integrity is taking that legacy, whatever that may be, you know, and of, of our ancestors and carrying it forward in an honest truthful meaningful way okay so i have another thought about dovetails okay and again this is since starting to cut my own which has only been less than a year i've done several projects um as of late where where i've done them and i'm getting better every single time but one of the things that i have really come to realize and appreciate is not just the natural beauty but the true integrity of the joint Mm. the strength of the joint like there's no joke right this tool tote that i made i weigh that sucker down Mm -hmm. there's no 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 it is not gonna blow out I, i have no reservations of putting as much weight as my scrawny little arm can carry <laughs> right my arm's going to give way before that thing does yeah and it's because of the integrity mm-hmm. of that joint 
I would have some more reservations if I did it the way that I did before. Being a butt joint or some screws or mm-hmm. who knows what. Not getting everything square, not taking my time, right? I mean, that's that's where I was. Yeah. Can I go somewhere with it? Yeah, let's go. All right. So, and I'm thinking about what you're talking about. Not using fasteners, not using screws. Using the material itself to come together. Mm. Because Hayward talks about this a little bit. He talks about using the local materials, you know, reading yeah. the lines, the chalk and the flint and right. the stone and the wood just where they found them. So the homes they built fit in with the surrounding area. I love that concept. You know, I think that the first thought that came to mind was the University of Colorado campus is built of all this sandstone uh-huh. yep. that was quarried, like, right in the area. And yep. it's gorgeous. I mean, it's always voted one of the most beautiful yeah. campuses. It fits in with those hills. It yeah. does. Yeah, it's, it's gorgeous. Um, and I was on site um, uh, at the house I'm building currently, and we have a couple of big purlins running on our uh, on a roof structure, on this vaulted roof. And it's a, a Japanese-style joint where they come together, and there's just a wood block that goes in between it and ties it together, but no fasteners. And then I got in this whole conversation with this carpenter about, you know, traditional joinery and, and how so much of, especially the ancient stuff, um, doesn't use any fasteners. It uses the material itself in a, a meaning or a, a very intentional way to like come together and, and create all the strength that's inherent in that material. So kind of curious your thoughts, cause you certainly know more about, you know, those methods, but also like kind of the history and like the philosophy behind it, you know, it's so they could repair the buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, cause you can take the keys out of certain joints and replace posts or beams. Um, if need be, mm-hmm. you can like the old timber frames, you could take them apart and put them back together at a different place. Like you just put them yeah. on a truck, and mm-hmm. as long as you label the, the pieces, they, they usually go back together just fine. Yeah. Um, so, so this wine rack here, yeah, this is oak from a house that was built in Massachusetts in 1737. Wow, <laughs> isn't that wild? Amazing. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And the previous, well, the owner, the original, well, not original, but the owner of this house. She shipped it. She took it apart piece by piece and labeled it mm. and built it in Napa. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. across the country. Yeah, it's amazing. You can't yeah. do that with just a regular stick frame building. Yeah, true. Um, and those those timber frame buildings uh, stand the test of time. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just respect to the materials to do that. Yeah. Like, I, I'm working on, so this homeowner wanted some reclaimed wood in the house. So we're doing a mantle that is a 10 by 10 timber. Um, and then also some floating shelves in the kitchen, which are all, um, like 200 plus year old Austrian white oak. And Hmm. we're, we're in the process right now of, of like surfacing it and getting it down just to clean it up a little bit. But Mm a, this material is like so dense as soon as it stands up it's it feels like it's waxed it's finished you know it's just like so hard Mm -hmm. and it's just the character in it is insanely beautiful Mm -hmm. and you know at one point you know the homeowner was like i want to stain it dark and i'm like no i can't do that i just can't i don't think i can do that (laughs) like it's like sacrilegious you know Mm -hmm. it's like to totally use a different analogy it's like taking 
you know, a, a, a piece of, you know, a vegetable, some produce, broccoli or whatever, like at the peak of the season when it's just got that most essential flavor of whatever it is. And instead of just like cooking it and like putting a little bit of salt, you like pour a bunch of sauce on it. It's like terrible. You can't do that. You know? And I just think that like respecting the material is right. so important. As far as action goes, like respecting the material for what the beauty in it, what it's capable of, what it's not capable of, is also like a really big part of being um, attuned to our history and the history of craft and, and knowing what you what you can and can't do with something. I really like this thought about respecting the material and especially the idea of, of where you're pulling this from, from that paragraph of, mm-hmm. of those homes being built and snugly into the countryside as if they were meant to be there. Yeah. And <clears throat> just a couple thoughts, maybe one anecdote. One, technology comes to mind. Okay? When screws came to be, that was technology coming to be. Mm-hmm. Or epoxy for river tables. <laughs> <laughs> I said it. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Can we do a physical mic drop? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And, and it kind of took away... Mm-hmm. technology ended up being kind of the driving force that took away that the respect for the materials for what they're capable of mm-hmm. so I have a personal anecdote about this I was building a broad webbed bow saw did, you, did I show you that? yeah, yeah I saw it in the classroom mm-hmm. okay so I have hung that one on the wall of learning since Started and a I've, new I've, one. I've made yeah. a new one yeah. I've made a new one <laughs> so I, I tried making the pins that fastened the ends of the saw out of aluminum. I drilled some holes, <laughs> cut some slots, put that in there, and like it just wasn't great. Like everything was skewed. And I also thought it would be a good idea. Like I was really scared of, um, since I already experienced some crack in that hickory in my mortise and tenon for the stretcher. I was scared if my uh, if my uh, hole was too tight for that aluminum peg to go in that I was going to end up splitting my hickory down on the handle. So I bought it one size too big, and so it was a little bit sloppy, a little bit of play. <laughs> I go through and I, I read the teacher's handbook of Sloyd, and it talked about the specifics of the Broadweb bow saw. And like one of the first things is you need to make sure you have a snugly fit peg. (laughs) (laughs) And so I read that and I was like, what if I make the peg out of a dowel? So I did. Mm -hmm. And I, I I didn't fully think or appreciate the fact that wood would be capable of holding that type of force. Yeah. Intention, yeah, yes, pretty strong. Yeah. But but a dowel, like I, I was just worried about the size, mm-hmm. right? So I used the five eighths, and I, I kind of bulled out the bottom of of where the peg goes, and it's awesome. Works mm-hmm. great. It's it's amazing. Yeah. So that's that's my well. I just anecdote I, of me appreciating the materials for what they're. I think they're, you brought up a really interesting point about technology and how we like use it as a crutch. Mm-hmm. You know, so instead of 
of building all these houses without fasteners and making these joints perfect and, and removable and fixable. Now, you know, I can speak to how modern construction methods work. You just put a lot of nails in there <laughs> and on the, in the plywood, you know, a lot of them. And, and yeah, it's, it's a lot of nails. Yeah. It works, but like, I feel like technology is a crutch and, and I, it kind of speaks to a bigger societal issue, which I don't know if we're going to explore right now, but like, okay, so we have these, all these different global problems. Okay. Well, technology is going to save us. A technologist will say the technology will come in. We're going to figure out how to wait, a way to do it more efficiently or whatever. Well, that seems like kind of a cheap out, you know, like a cop out. Yeah. It's like, that's not the answer. We need to go almost go backward to go forward to appreciate what we how we should approach it without using that technology. It's like, oh, I'll just put another screw in it. And like, that's just not really the best right. way. You know? On the flip side, though, there's a time and a place for that kind of stuff to, you know, yeah. it, it greatly improves the efficiency yeah. of a home going up. Well, that's for and sure. speed. Yeah. Yeah. So it can make them more affordable for, for people. And well, yeah, this three-year house that I'm about to wrap up probably would have been like five or six years <laughs> cutting all the joints yeah. by hand. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, yes, I am not a total Luddite, like saying no technology, but I think going back to intentionality, you know, not just leaning on it because it's convenient, but understanding you know again it's limitations just like we would understand the the limitations of any material so do we understand the limitations of a technology Mm -hmm. but i think things are changing so fast it's it's hard to kind of put those you know thoughts on it as things are evolving so quickly and then the skill disappears right from the generations yes yeah and when the skill disappears like it's easy uh, i don't know about anymore I was going to say it's easier to pound a nail for most people than it is to cut a joint. Right. A lot easier. Yeah. I but Pounding a nail. I have aspirations to, to build my next shop timber frame style. Sweet. Mm. Yeah. I like that. It's been a dream of mine for a yeah. while. I wanted to build our shed at our current house yeah. timber framed. Uh, it's, it's a 16 foot by 6 foot shed. I was talked out of it by by the wife no (laughs) (laughs) well let me let me throw something out here um this is the last paragraph but i think it, it really encapsulates what we're talking about right now Hayward says there was a time when men working with their hands achieved grace and truth as naturally as they breathed because they worked soundly in a sound tradition today we have to relearn these things and make our own standards. If we are willing to keep a high heart, if we hold fast to those moments of vision which we have received outside the bustle of living, then the skill which we learn will wed itself to the skill we have inherited, something older than ourselves which we can pass on to our children, and till heaven and earth pass away, the price and the joy of good workmanship shall not fail. It's a good, good end of the article there. Can, can we talk about Stonehenge? Yes. He does talk <laughs> about Stonehenge. Sorry. Push the rewind button. I, 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 I wanted to talk about Stonehenge. Let's talk about Stonehenge. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, before this paragraph, he talks about his friend. 
who visit Stonehenge like every every year right? religiously. Yeah, right. And he's seen it in all these different moonlight and sunlight and morning. Yeah, and different times of year. Yeah. Talks about it being an ancient civilization. It was a center of craftsmanship. <clears throat> um, Stonehenge is described as an expenditure of labor on a grand scale. And it's hard, really hard, to wrap my mind around that grand of a scale. And it's not just talking about one person. It's not just talking about one generation. It's not just talking... And, like, it's talking about a civilization, right? Mm -hmm. So, this is from the internet, so it's true. (laughs) The working of the stones is estimated to have required around 20 million hours, which is... 830,000 days or 2,300 years of work using the primitive tools available at the time. How many years? 2,300. <laughs> okay. Oh. That's why people think aliens built it. Exactly. Right? It's unfathomable. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, like, on the top, I mean, they have mortise and tenon-style joints. They have tongue and groove on those lintel stones that sit on the top. Wow. They, they... Yeah, but also, what, what, what I think is interesting is, like, I have no idea what kind of analysis went into that time frame. But, you know, to retroactively try to dissect the means and methods that they used in those times... We could, in, in this day and age, when we're so used to technology and all this, could completely be missing a method that they used to build this in a generation. So maybe yeah. fairly, maybe. So they've done some excavations yeah. and they've seen where they've dressed these giant monoliths yeah. because they have all of the... The debris. Uh, the debris. Yeah, the waste. Because right? yeah. they had the shape all, not just the, the joints, but the faces themselves, yeah. right? So they have all the debris, and amongst the debris, they find hammer stones, mm-hmm. and and they're simply rocks that are shaped so that they're banging on these giant stones mm-hmm. that are between two and forty-five tons. I mean, yeah, wow. to shape them. Yeah. I mean, and they found hundreds mm-hmm. of these hammer stones. So, so they. They know to a pretty de- good degree of, of yeah. how they're dressing them. Yeah. They don't fully know because <laughs> for the majority of these, these stones, too, they were hauling them from about 170 miles away, right? Wow. So, so there's a lot of interesting um, experimentation that they're trying to do to figure out how they went about doing that. 45 tons is... It's just so heavy. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. You can't and then to get it upright, it, yeah. it literally up weighs right. more than like a house. Oh, I mean, like way more. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. <sighs> crazy. So it's also interesting that they believe that Stonehenge is presumed to have been a ceremonial grounds to um, celebrate their ancestors. Hmm. Makes sense. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. You know what else I love to think about? How many mistakes they made along the way. Yeah. (laughs) How many times did they try? They they almost got this lintel stone place. Oh, no, it dropped and cracked in half. 
Oh, there goes five generations of shaping of a stone. Oh, gosh. <laughs> they couldn't just glue it back together. Yeah, no epoxy back then. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, I had I had to touch on Stonehenge because I loved it. Yeah. It's fascinating. And go, it kind of goes back to like what we were talking about with our places of like his, history, you know, those places. where What are our places that we go to? you know respect the elders respect the ancestors like certainly nothing that goes back like that far but it's you know did you know that there was a woodhenge at Cahokia really I did not know that really hmm. same type of thing or is alignment with the uh, the winter solstice and summer solstice mm. and a- like ancient and even not so ancient civilizations that were more attuned I mean it just blows my mind a brief like personally, I don't. I went to. Uh, I was in Mexico over spring break with my family mm-hmm. about a decade ago, and we went to Chichen Itza, and happened to be on the spring solstice. Mm. Um, and that temple is perfectly aligned so that on the spring solstice, the sun shines on the temple, the pyramid temple, in a certain way that a shadow literally crawls down the mountain or down the pyramid wow. and that until it connects with a carved head of the serpent god um, at the bottom. And then for, for one or two minutes, twice a year on each solstice, the, the shadow that looks like it's slithering connects with this head. And it's, and wow. you like people ever like raise you raise your hands and you like receive the energy from the. I wow. mean, and I would say with like you know all the tour buses came and dropped all these people off, but everyone was like wearing white like per tradition. Hmm. And I mean, it's still like you know, I don't know. I mean, it was a little touristy, but like I still felt like I was like engaging in this act, you know, of a culture that I had no relationship to, but nonetheless, like right, hmm. wow. there were thousands of people there doing this, and it was just like wow, that's yeah. incredible. But, but let's just tie it back simply to human race. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, cultures aside, there are things that bind us t- together. Those mm-hmm. connections. Again, not just the three of us here sitting at this table. And not just everybody who's physically alive at this time in humanity. But all of humanity. Mm-hmm. It's almost as hard to think about as... What they did for Stonehenge. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. We'll keep on living. Keep on living. And pass it to our children. Mm-hmm. Most importantly, keep the legacy going. Mm-hmm. Whether it's our legacy or the legacy of humanity. Mm-hmm. And I think that requires that curiosity of like continuing to explore, experience, learn it all. As much as we can, at least. Absolutely. Let's keep going. Yeah. On that note, see you next time. See you next time. Good chat.